0: Hi, my name is Laura Vigil and I'm interviewing Jason Tesaro.
1: Conservation ecologist, wildlife biologist. I run my mm-hmm. own company, it's Jason Tassaro Consulting. My training is herpetology and wetland conservation. A lot of my training is, is self-taught, That you know, was something I was always interested in as a kid and then I eventually uh, got a graduate degree in, in ecology and evolution. And mm-hmm. uh, but I'd always had a passion for reptiles and amphibians and you know general wildlife. Just sort uh-huh. of been been a nature buff. So and mm-hmm. I always wanted to do something that kind of gave back to uh, to our ecosystem and mm-hmm. you know and it's particularly in peril species. So you know so a lot of it didn't come from necessarily you know academics. It was just more of a passion. So I landed my career through you know personal interest and passion and then supplemented it with a, a master's degree in ecology evolution.
0: Wow, that's awesome! That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so, what kinds of projects do you work on? Uh, can you well, provide a far, Yeah, yeah, <laughs>
1: sure. As far as uh, as far as on the restoration end of things, uh, a lot of my work uh, throughout my career, I would say the last twenty years, has revolved around restoring and enhancing uh, and managing uh, habitat for uh, federally listed turtle species. Uh, known as the bog turtle, and you know, they're in New England, um, but a pretty, occupy a pretty small range in New England. Mm-hmm. Um, bigger populations are down in southern New York, and then uh, down and through like, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and the mid-Atlantic region, and then there's mm-hmm. a population down in the south. Uh, but I've been, I started working uh, to try to rehabilitate bog turtle habitats that were impaired by, you know, a lot of different land uses, uh, a lot of agricultural impacts, a lot of... Suburban impacts, uh, runoff, eutrophication, things like that. The big, the biggest problem what we were finding is that they, you know the bog turtles occupied a pretty fragmented range, and a bit, you know, they're not a very mobile species, and we're always kind of rare, you know, somewhat rare to begin with. And yeah. um, they've been kind of marginalized to small wetland areas, um, mm-hmm. you know, throughout the northeast. But most of their habitat has been, you know, just Destroyed or through you know filling pollution you know urbanization things like that. But in the existing habitats were also being where where turtles still occurred were yeah. also being threatened by um, like I said a lot of these secondary impacts through cultural eutrophication, ag runoff and whatnot, and that. Would change the uh, character of the vegetation that occurred in the wetlands that these turtles occupied. The turtles are very are specialized ecologically and require you know um, certain type of plant community that's characterized Mm by low herbaceous native vegetation. And what you'd have is a lot of invasive and non-native weeds that would come in to their wetlands that were you know impacted by the runoff and and the other various pollution-oriented effects. Yeah. and those plants would eliminate nesting habitat for these turtles so they couldn't nest and what you'd have are populations that weren't recruiting new individuals into the population so you would just get a small population of very old turtles that were <laughs> just kind of hanging on until they yeah. bite the dust and then the population goes by the wayside without you know reproduction so
2: yeah.
1: our plan of attack was to try to restore the native uh, assemblage of grasses, sedges, and different marsh plants within these habitats by controlling the non-native species. And Mm -hmm. it wasn't always non-natives, but, you know, there are trees and shrubs that also come into these habitats rapidly and shade them out. And the turtles need a lot of sun and stuff like that. So Mm -hmm. it's a restoration mostly of, you know, trying to arrest the spread and encroachment of undesirable vegetation, and trying to encourage the plants that the turtles needed for healthy reproduction.
0: So, how would you do that? Would you, um, was it just by physical means, or like biological, chemical? You know, yeah. What kind of means? A combination,
1: combination of <laughs> uh-huh. all three. There's the basic, you know, go in there with a chainsaw, cut things down. Or <laughs> when the sites are frozen over, you can go in with big machines and just kind of mow everything down. Mm-hmm. Worked really well, but the the problem is uh, the regrowth of of vegetation and there's been spot treatments of herbicides uh, you know and that's in the canon of things to use to address unwanted plants um, mm-hmm. you know but there's a lot of sensitivity to these habitats they're ecologically safe wetland you know regulated uh, herbicides at the at the end of the day it's still poison and so yeah. you know, we try to we try to limit the amount of herbicides that we use and so one thing that I pioneer um, is, uh, is the use of uh, prescribed grazing. Um, we mm-hmm. found that a lot of bog turtle habitats, some of the better uh, populations occurred in habitats that were on active I'm area and beef farms, sometimes horses. Uh, yeah. And, and where, the, where the livestock were out there grazing in the habitat and just, you know, the farmers just, they had wetland on their land and, mm-hmm. you know, they fenced it and, you know, animals uh, seasonally went in there and munched on the vegetation. Well, we found out, <laughs> Even a light amount of grazing um, was enough to keep their habitat suitable, to keep a lot of the non-natives to low enough densities that allowed the native vegetation to flourish and thereby allowing the bog turtles to do well. So we said, okay, well, if that's happening sort of indirectly on Mm -hmm. farms and the bog turtles are doing well, well, can we replicate that at sites that, you know, have these problems with noxious weeds? and so. We've been doing that, and so we started a little pilot project in the 90s, and it was successful. And a couple other researchers had played around with it, too. But then the government who protects the turtle through the Endangered Species Act, it's listed at the federal, national level as threatened. So they began to prescribe grazing as a management tool for this species. So it kind of caught on in a big way, and um, I've been working on it ever since, where we're you know working with wetlands in rural landscapes where there's farms and cattle yeah. and got livestock available, and clearing the sites in the wintertime, fencing them, and then working with um, a very modest amount of cattle and other livestock to just, you know, keep these habitats maintained, um, keep the non-native veg out. And what you find out, find is that the, the, the vegetation that the bog turtles re- require or like, they respond really well. Their, their growth is promoted or encouraged.
0: What kinds of expertise does it take to accomplish a successful restoration project?
1: Well, you have to understand your targets. You know, our target was, you know, these turtles, but mm-hmm. the turtles are dependent on the vegetation. So indirectly, it's, you know, the turtles are being protected because we're selecting for uh, certain plant species. And mm-hmm. so we have to understand, you know, what these cattle or, you know, or livestock are going to eat. And so mm-hmm. we had to kind of, you know, look at a lot of different sites to find out, you know, what was palatable to these cows. and. Yeah and we're native plants thriving you know in the presence of grazers and mm-hmm. essentially it's a, a group of species called sedges sedges are the dominant uh type of it's a graminoid so it's related to the grass mm-hmm. the dominant type of herbaceous plant that form like a mat in, mm-hmm. in bog treble habitat there are sedge you know 90 percent of the vegetation is, is sedges and then there's other you know tiny small shrubs and other flowering plants and forbs and things like that for the most part it's all about sedges. And so we know that sedges and grasses are encouraged by grazing. If you graze the sedge and grass, it's like, you know, why do you mow your lawn? You know, the roots <laughs> get thicker and so it just becomes a more robust kind of plant. So, so those are our targets and that's what we want to encourage. So we found out that, that the, the grazing works good for the grasses, but then we looked at other sites where it was problematic. And we had these non-natives, and we found mm-hmm. that the cows were eating. The oh, it was of, yeah, the non-natives, the yeah. uh, Phragmites, Purple Loose Stripe, re Canary Grass, and mm-hmm. uh, doing a really good job. So, But we did some pilot studies before yeah. we sort of launched this, and then that was key to get that data. And that was in like the, uh, the late 90s.
0: What are the biggest scientific gaps that we need to fill in order to improve restoration mm-hmm.
1: efforts? It's always evolving, and we learn more and more about you know, how habitats change over time uh, in the response to drought and conditions in the climate. Sometimes, you know, like we have, we had a really bad drought. What was it? Not in 2016. You know, we found that areas that um, were dominated by certain plants that, you know, that were very suitable, that were, you know, that we managed and things were nice and wet and it was, everything was kind of copacetic in the site. Well, then the drought came in and all that vegetation got overtaken by another Mm non-native. And so you always got to have to sort of be prepared for that or do, you know, for these kind of changes. And that ties into your climate change question too. So I would say there's a gap for the ability to, you know, adapt your restoration or your practices to kind Mm -hmm. of unforeseen circumstances.
0: Mm -hmm. And kind of like Um, plan for the future in a way. Yeah, Like Still do the best that you can really because you can never really plan
1: no, no, like what's gonna no, happen? But, it, but it, mm-hmm. exactly, and and you know when there's there's you know because these systems they're not static, mm-hmm. and you know so you know you always gotta understand that there's gonna be some ecological changes. You know a big you know being that I work in wetlands,
2: mm-hmm. uh,
1: another big factor uh, to that you know that's a real force to reckon with is um, is beaver. Now beavers you know are very very common, especially in New England and everywhere. You know they can literally come in overnight. And they can undo your whole project that you spent years at by, by, you know, I mean not in a day, but if you don't keep keep on top of it, you know, beavers can flood everything out. You lose your turtles, you lose all the plants you helped to establish.
0: You kind of lose the whole all the project that you've been working on. Just yeah, yeah,
1: that 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 is a problem. Uh Yeah, some of that angle now Mm -hmm. is of we've done well at a few because we have a few projects that weren't that successful.
0: Oh really? So do you guys are kind of looking back and trying to see what else would work, or yeah, like, you, yeah
1: Well, yeah. I think we're just trying to be adaptive and, and mm-hmm. try some of, like, different approaches.
0: What are your biggest challenges doing restoration
1: that you have run into? Um, finding access to uh, properties, um, you know, um, all the all the habitat is mostly privately owned, so mm-hmm. we're really at the mercy of landowners mm-hmm. that you know want to participate. So mm-hmm. you know, not, every, not everybody's thrilled about working with the endangered species, um, yeah. we've had a lot of good responses, but there are still lots of sites out there that we just can't get access to. So that's a big problem.
0: Mm-hmm. Do, are you seeing that a lot of, um, like, landowners are trying to, like, excited to work with you or, like, they're willing to work with you, or is it kind of like, oh, not about it, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, no, it, it, a lot are willing um, because, you know, we provide um, economic incentives. Yeah. So, you know, we'll... We'll purchase e- conservation easements on the properties, you know, mm-hmm. this is through federal money, uh, through federal programs. Um, you know, we'll pay for things like new fencing. We'll, if they want the wetlands, you know, to kind of look better, we'll, you know, we're wiping out all those yeah. slightly weeds and, and opening things up. So that's the incentive, um, you know, that, that we kind of pitch up front. Like, hey, you know, we're about to, you know, trying to rescue or recover this turtle, but here's what's in it for you.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: uh, so, you know, I think we got a pretty good sales pitch, and we've been successful, but, you know, I, there's still sites that will never get on just based on some people's attitudes yeah. about, you know, protected wildlife and the government, because it, yeah. is, it is mostly government.
0: Yeah, wow. What advice do you have for students or new graduates hoping to work in the field of restoration?
1: Get involved as soon as you can mm-hmm. as uh, volunteers or interns, and, you know, and there's a lot of initiatives and efforts going on out there. And they're not well publicized. Yeah. But there's a lot of nonprofits. I'm on the board of a nonprofit, and I work with nonprofit groups. Even state wildlife programs, like you know, government and environmental protection programs, have internships and volunteer opportunities. And that's the way to get real skills. I mean, you can go to class and stuff like that, and that's <laughs> fine. And, 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 and no, and that's awesome too. You yeah. have to always have to do that, but just really get, so to speak, your feet wet. Yeah. Right off the, bat. the practical experience. That'll give you a real perspective on this field, and you'll learn a million times more than doing than being in academic. a classroom. Yeah, yeah. Recognize <laughs> that you're going to have to work your butt off in this field to oh yeah, you know, to to make money, and you might have to kind of suck it up for for, for uh, a couple couple years. Of years. Yeah, yeah.
0: A huge thank you to Jason for conducting this interview, and thank you for listening.